and our Bible reading tonight is from the book of Acts, and we're reading from chapter 4, verses 23 through to verse 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that through your death on the cross, we can come before you in prayer. May we hear what you have to say to us clearly tonight and help us to come before you with humble hearts as the disciples did. Amen. Well, one night, my wife Erin and I were really keen for some frozen yogurt, and so we were out in town going to, yo my goodness, um, but we couldn't find a park. Now, normally I have a pretty good knack for finding parks, generally right out the front of where we're wanting to go, uh, but unfortunately uh, this night was not one of those times, and so we'd probably driven around the block about four times, and then I boldly announced, all right, Jesus, we're ready for a park, and we turn a corner, and I kid you not, there is a park waiting there for us. Aaron was extremely impressed, and we enjoyed our frozen yogurt that night. But is this how prayers should look? I think it's a good reminder, isn't it, that God answers small prayers and big prayers. But there's a sense in which these prayers kind of don't really feel quite adequate enough, do they? There's nothing wrong with quick prayers, especially in emergency situations. Perhaps if you wanting frozen yoga and can't find a park, say a quick prayer. Because God wants us to cry out to him, doesn't he? but it's such a pale reflection of the prayers that we read about in God's Word, isn't it? In today's passage, we're going to be looking at a prayer from the disciples, and we're going to be seeing how it can help to shape our own prayers. We see the disciples not just presenting a request to God, but they actually acknowledge who God is and what His will is before they ask their request. But first, I want to spend some time looking at the context around this prayer, I think it's helpful to understand what the disciples were really going through as they prayed for these things, and it helps us apply it to our lives a lot easier. And so we're in Acts chapter 4, and Peter and John have been preaching the gospel, telling people to repent and come to Jesus, and they're praying for miracles to happen as well. 
And so then there's this man who was unable to walk for 40 years. And so they pray for him, and God miraculously heals this man, and now he can walk. However, the Sadducees and the captain of the temple guard and some of the religious leaders at the time thought that Peter and John were leading some kind of cultish movement, and they didn't like this, and so they had them arrested and put them in prison to go on trial the next day. So after a discussion between the disciples and these religious leaders and a few death threats, Peter and John are released and head back to the other disciples. And we read that the first thing they do is pray. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'd just been arrested and taken to the Cairns courthouse and told that by following Jesus and sharing the gospel with people, I could be killed, I'd probably freak out a little bit. Yet, the disciples go back to their friends and they pray. But not only do they pray, they acknowledge God's sovereignty and control over their current situation. So the passage reads, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And so the first words of this prayer are, Sovereign Lord. The word sovereign means to be supreme ruler or having ultimate power. And so the disciples actually explain and make clear why God is sovereign. They're not just using this to make God sound more important and more spectacular than he is. They say, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So upon their release from prison, the disciples are saying, Our God, He has made all the leaders. He's made all the rulers. He's made all the prisons, all the temples. Everything imaginable that people can bring upon us, God has made and is in complete control over. And so the disciples are lifting up God and they're extolling him as the supreme creator over the whole universe. And so for us, when we pray to God, we too are praying to the creator of the universe. There's no problem too big or too small for God. God can find car parks, but he also deals with much bigger issues going on in our world. God wants to know us, and it pleases Him when we bring to Him our concerns, our worries, or our doubts. But what would it look like for us to reflect on the majesty of God before we prayed? I really love the picture that John describes in Revelation, particularly in Revelation chapters 4 and 5. John describes the throne room of God. He talks about a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircling the throne and 24 other thrones surrounding that throne with the 24 elders seated while there's flashes of lightning and thunder and there's angels and living creatures bowing down before God, worshipping Him, praising Him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. But then midway through chapter 5 we find this little verse which puts us in the middle of this incredible scene that John is seeing. This is Revelation 5, verse 8. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. 
And so what if this was what we pictured before we prayed? This scene in the throne room of God where all of creation is praising God. How would that shape our prayers? What if we stopped for 10 or 30 seconds to reflect on that before we prayed? Or what if we stopped to reflect on other areas of God's character? The incredible thing about God is that He isn't just the sovereign creator, He's our loving Father, the Good Shepherd, the Rock of Ages, the Merciful King. He's just, He's kind and loving, and He is Jesus, our Messiah. And so how would your prayers be shaped if when you came before God and approached His throne in prayer, you stopped to praise Him and acknowledge His character? How much more would our prayers reflect His will? How would that humble us before God? There's nothing wrong with bringing our requests before God. As Andrew mentioned before, prayer means request. But let's make sure that we're remembering and acknowledging the power and majesty of our Creator. After acknowledging God's sovereignty, the disciples then reflect on how God's plans have been revealed throughout Scripture. God's the sovereign Lord who's made and created everything, and He's control over the whole universe. But He's also the one who, through the mouth of David, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do nations rage and peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed one. So the disciples are recognizing that God, by His Holy Spirit, has inspired David to write the Psalms. And they quote Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. And this psalm, it reflects the certainty of Israel's king, that he is the Lord's anointed, installed by God on Zion, destined to rule as his representative on earth. But at the same time, there's the recognition that the nations of the world are in rebellion against God. The nations are raging and they're plotting in vain, gathering together to plot against God. And so, throughout the New Testament, we see that Jesus, in fact, He is the one, and He is God's anointed one. And so, it would have been incredibly easy for the disciples to see themselves reflecting and sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. These verses express the confidence that they have that the problems they're facing are an extension of the opposition to Christ and are a part of the will of God. But why does the quote stop there? You know, they ha we have this asking of the question, why are the nations raging and plotting in vain as they come together against God? And so why stop there before actually giving us the answer? I think it's because they go on to answer the question from Psalm 2 with the current situation of Jesus' death and resurrection. Verse 27 says, Indeed, or because, so the nations rage and plot in vain, because Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. So again, we have this coming together of the rulers, banding together to come against God. It's a perfect parallel between the psalm and what happened at the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus. But the real kicker comes in verse 28. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And so why is there plotting? 
Why is there raging against God that they would kill Jesus on the cross? Because God had decided beforehand that this should happen. And so what we see is that before requests are made to God, the disciples remember his promises. The apostles are taking comfort in the truth that even against opposition of kings and the political powers that be, God is the one in control. All things work together for those who love him. And so when it comes to their prayers, they don't pray for God to remove the opposition as they see that this is what God had planned. And so instead, they pray for boldness. And so we see that in the first part of this prayer, the disciples identify God as the sovereign Lord, as he's the creator of the universe and ruler over all, only allowing things to take place as he would have them take place. But this is challenging, isn't it? I think when we face hard times, it can be challenging and it can do either one or two things. It can either bring us closer to God, recognising how helpless we are and our need for him, but it can be confusing too. And in the midst of hard times, our prayers might look a lot more like this. Why would you allow this to happen, God? You know, I'm a committed follower of you, yet my life is so hard. The person at work that's always on my nerves, my friends and my family who don't know you or who are sick and struggling. And it's easy to feel in these hard times that God is distant and far from our hurt. Or perhaps to feel as if he's punishing us for something. Perhaps last year was quite a difficult year for you. Work wasn't what you thought it would be, or you had to say goodbye to a loved one. And maybe your prayers lately have been for this year to be better than last. But I want to encourage you and remind you that God isn't indifferent to the hardships in your life. Evil and suffering in the world is a big problem that a lot of people wrestle with, especially when it comes to God and Christianity. And as Christians, it's something that we should be wrestling with too. I heard of this story when I was doing a lot of uh, research and study into evidence for God uh, and the Christian faith, and I think it helps reflect this issue. So in the 1800s, a priest by the name of Father Damien heard about a colony of lepers uh, who were living together on the island of Molokai without a pastor or anyone to care for them. And so Father Damien went out to be their pastor. He would change their wounds, he would pray for them, he would preach to them and he would bury those who had passed away. And he did this for many years. But one day he stood before them and he said two words which would change everything. As he stood before them, he untied his robe and he said, we lepers, as he revealed the first signs of leprosy. And so before this day, did the people of Molokai know that Father Damien loved them? Of course they did. But how much more is his love displayed for them when he has experienced their circumstances himself? The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
Jesus had a friend betray him. Jesus wept over the death of a loved one. And Jesus was overwhelmed by crowds of people nagging at him, wanting him to heal them and do miracles. Jesus suffered great physical pain on the cross. He understands and he knows our hurt. We don't always know why God allows things to happen, but when we pray to our sovereign Lord, we're not praying to a distant, out-of-touch creator. We're praying to our great high priest who feels and understands our pain because he has felt that himself. And so now, having established that they're praying to a sovereign Lord who is working out his plans through their circumstances, the disciples go on in verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So the disciples' main request that flows out of their faith in the sovereignty of God is for great unyielding boldness in the word of God. I don't know about you, but I probably would have prayed for some protection in there as well. Now, Lord, consider their threats and protect us from them. But when we look back to the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, I think we can now see and know what the disciples would have been remembering. So this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, verses 12 to 14. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you, They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. And this is what the disciples are doing, isn't it? They're trusting God that this is a part of his plan, and that he would use it for his will. But then they also go on to ask that God would stretch out his hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of his holy servant, Jesus. And so the church are praying for God to be healing and performing signs and wonders while they are speaking his word with all boldness. And so in Acts chapter 2, verses 22, we see Peter addressing a crowd and he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. And so what Peter is saying is that in the case of Jesus, wonders and signs were performed so that it would be known or attested to that he truly was sent from God. And so then when we come back to the prayer of the disciples in chapter 4, And their request for boldness in the word and wonders and signs to be performed, it's a prayer for God to attest to his word. The signs and wonders attest to the word of God, which the disciples are boldly preaching. I think it's easy to often get this mixed up, isn't it? You know, we think that the word of God would probably lead to the signs and the wonders, but however, here we're told it's actually the reverse. The signs and wonders point to the glory and power of the Word of God. I wonder when was the last time you prayed for God to attest to the power of His Word? I think we often pray that God would reveal Himself to people, perhaps through wonders and signs or healings. But do we ask God to reveal to people the glory and power of His Word? Before reading our Bibles, do we stop and reflect that this is the living, spoken Word of God? 
think it's easy to become complacent, isn't it? I know for myself, there's periods where I struggle to read my Bible regularly, and then when I finally come back to it and I read it, I always wonder why I ever stopped. God's words bring life. And so let's be praying that more people would read it and be changed, that God would attest to the power and glory of his word. The passage finishes by saying, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And so just after they have prayed, the place where they're meeting shakes, almost like a wonder or sign. And they are then filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the Word of God boldly. The sign attests to the Word. The disciples, they know the threats that are against them. In fact, we see that the fulfillment of these threats in Acts chapter 7 at the death of Stephen. Yet they don't pray, Lord, don't let these threats come upon us. They pray, God, you know the threats against us. Therefore, grant us boldness in preaching your word. In the West, we don't quite have the same threat of physical harm and death as the disciples did, or as other Christians in the world do have. But however, it is becoming increasingly unpopular to be a Christian in our world today. Christians and the Christian faith are mocked and ridiculed in pop culture, in workplaces, on social media. And so what a wonderful reminder this passage of Acts is, particularly as we're heading into a new year. We serve and we pray to a sovereign Lord who is in control over the entire universe. And we can pray for boldness in his word as we seek to live for him, that he would attest to the power and glory of his word as we humbly approach that throne in heaven. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the example of the disciples in Acts. Lord, this year may our prayers be shaped like theirs, acknowledging you as creator and all of the wonderful characteristics and attributes that you have. Lord, may we approach your throne humbly and may we see your word and the power of, and glory of it um, as it is alive and active in our world today. Amen.